Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today's guest, Hector Santi Esteban, is a grandma's boy. I can relate to that too, because I have such a special relationship with my grandma and many grandmas. I've been lucky to know them and they have been matriarchs in my family. If you want to be good at marketing your podcast and you want to be a good podcaster, you need to be plugged in. You need to be sharing other people's ideas and your own. Hector, welcome. How we connected was I saw a post that you did talking about growing up around successful women and that you were surprised at the underrepresentation of women in podcasting. Yeah, I am. I still am. And I was such a, a mama's boy growing up. You know, thankfully I got rid of that a little bit, but I, but me and my mom were always, you know, connected and she's runs the household and she, if we were to really ask them, she wears the pants, you know, she makes the kind of the big decisions. And so I grew up around that. And, you know, similarly in my family, I have, my dad has seven sisters, one of them passed away, but she has six sisters and they are all the, the kind of matriarchs of the family. And so for me, there's been so many examples of just women who have just taken control and ownership and the men have been super respectful and but but also super everybody kind of knows their place everybody knows what their strengths are and their roles and not their place in a negative way but thankfully my uncle who is you know my my dad's older brother and my dad by example have given them the reins to be who they are and and so of course i don't know what things were like in the 60s and 70s and 80s when things were growing up but when i came into this world you know i have 70 80 cousins at at events and so there it was a big you know thanksgiving christmas is always this huge production and and the women were running the show and they were calling the shots and they were what they said went. So that's kind of the world that I came into. And so anything else seems strange to me. And, and I know that that's like, that's not the normal world. You know, I'm just, I was taking it before we hopped on, I was trying to finish a California state required harassment course. And it's just like hearing these things is just, so anyways, there we are. That's how we got here. What company required you to do that? I don't want to get it. Well, I'm a technically an employee for a company, just California state requires all employees to do it. It's not really the company. It's more of the statewide kind of thing, but every employee has to kind of go through this. Thankfully, because, you know, I don't know if we want to go here, but like, it's a strange guys just don't realize the world that women have to live in. And guys don't realize the kind of the world that they create, whether even intentionally or unintentionally. And so, so much of it is like ignorance is like, you know, you hear it, like you see those things with people, they don't even realize that they're being rude or discriminatory or whatever, you know, chauvinistic or sexist or whatever. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. That's, that's kind of how we're starting this off, huh? I think my husband had to 
take a similar course actually recently in his job. So I don't think it's just California. And he came home kind of like, honestly, making some funny jokes, but that is one way to talk about it. You know, some of it's like, I can't even believe this stuff goes on. Right. And also the world has changed so much. And you think about like, when I was thinking about, you know, the question for your dad and stuff, we'll kind of talk about that in a bit, but it just got me thinking about how different, you know, generationally we are, right? And how I would imagine that a few generations ago, things were pretty similar to your grandparents' life. Things were pretty similar. Maybe you had like an upgraded, like, you know, shovel or hoe, you know, like things moved really slowly. And then for us, if we think about our lives compared to our grandparents' lives or, you know, our kids compared to even, you know, what would there would be great grandparents, you know, like it's vastly different, drastically yes. different. And so the challenge is that I think a lot of people haven't had the chance to just catch up even with their own, people are so habitual, people are so you know entrenched in their ways that I don't, it is their fault, it is their responsibility to get with the times, but I have compassion and empathy for these kind of older guys who like are clueless about, they think they're being nice. They think in their heart of hearts, they are being a kind, gentlemanly man. But what they are actually saying is like weird and sick and like, you know what I mean? Like totally comes, you know, perceived the wrong way. So all that to say, yeah, this whole podcasting thing, like it just baffles me because there should be no reason why there's that differential. And, and so I was excited to connect with you and, and chat about what you're doing and so many other badass women that were on that call. So yeah, I was excited that that happened. Yeah, that was amazing. And I feel like there were things that even stayed with me from that conversation. And you've continued those conversations too. I feel like you're building upon that initial idea, which is cool. Where do you get that enthusiasm for podcasting? I remember my eighth grade year in middle school, there was the student elections, right? And I was like, I'm not going to be president because that's way too much pressure. And I'm not Miss Goody Two-Shoes, who was clear a lock for presidency since her first grade year. She was groomed into student body president. But I happened into, I tried to pick my spot and I tried to look at what were the easy ones that I could win. Because if you did get on student council, you got some cool perks. You got to leave early and do, you know, things like that. So I was just trying to, you know, get my way at a class. And thankfully, one of the roles of, I ended up getting technology position, which I was like, I don't even know what this does. But one of the roles was putting together the middle school, like news show, like once a month, the whole school put on, they had these like closed caption televisions, And somehow, I don't know, I don't know how we did, but we like routed from this old iMac, like the original iMacs that you could see into. And we routed into all the classrooms and we put on this like news production. It was like, you know, we had two anchors, they would sit down and they'd be like, this is LPN network and today and daily. And we would produce these different segments. It would be about sports and they would be about interview people on the yard. And one of them was funny and all these different things. I really, of course, I love getting out of class, but I really loved going and working on these things. And we just spent hours dragging clips and moving stuff around and just playing around with iMovie. iMovie had just came out. And so it was really accessible with just a camcorder and a computer. And that was like my first foray into content. I was at that time like a jock and basically tried to, I realized that they had to work the least in school. So if I could get good at, at sports, then I didn't have to work as hard at class. That was my mentality there. And so throughout high school and, and even, you know, a little bit after that, I thought that sports was kind of going to be my, my thing. Quickly did I realize that I was five, six in Mexican. And so there's all this time where you keep growing and then all my friends kept growing and I kept staying the same size. And so it took a couple of years, but 
after high school, I realized that like professional sports was not going to be, you know, my, my foray. And so I hobbled around looking for what was next. And I got a sales job and I became like a sales recruiter and out of college, I started doing that because I was able to be my own boss and kind of be self-employed. And, you know, I knew I just didn't want to have a regular job at that point, but realized that was too many people. I mean, there were days where I was literally, you know, I had trainings of a hundred people in a room. And they were all in the same room as me looking at me. And I was, you know, that was just way too stimulating for me, way too many people. And so I started reading a bunch of books. That was when I got introduced to people like, you know, the Gary Vee and Grant Cardone and all these kinds of internet people who were talking about the internet. One of them actually that I just re-picked up again today, actually right here is Michael Hyatt's book, Platform. His was talking about writing a blog, but I started to realize that there was this thing over here called the internet and social media and all that stuff that people were actually making money on that wasn't scams. This was like 2014, 2015. So the idea of like a YouTuber wasn't really there. Instagram had like Instagram influencers wasn't really a thing. You know, it was just like, it was really kind of still early bloggers was like the big thing. And so I tried really hard to figure out what I was going to do and, and I'm making my way to podcasting, but along that way, I started stopped on Facebook Live. So Facebook Live came out and I jumped all over that. That first year that Facebook Live came out, I think I did like 300 live videos or something like that. And I really jumped into it because it was not me. I was not like, at that point, I didn't realize that I was into creating content or into doing, I just, I had a couple of friends and we all challenged ourselves to do a video a day. And we're like, we're just going to do it. And I think like two or three of us kept doing it. But one day I just, I had like the first time I did it, I had like three or four people and then it was like five or six. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like these people are like sitting here like at this moment and I'm talking here and we're engaging in the comments. So that was kind of cool. And I kept doing it through this challenge. And by the end of the challenge, there was like 50, 60, 70 people, you know, hopping on these live videos at a time. And I was talking about these random obscure marketing things, but people were really interested and it kept growing and growing. I ended up parlaying that attention into a, a Facebook group and a YouTube channel. We ended up growing to like 15,000 members on Facebook and it was super engaged. There was, you know, hundreds of comments a day. The YouTube channel got to a couple thousand subscribers, but it was, it was driving and feeding this business that was in like a really weird kind of marketing niche that the short of it was a bunch of stuff changed in the industry and it just wasn't, it wasn't as sexy anymore. It wasn't as kind of this, I caught a wave, which was kind of nice and people were really interested in it, but a bunch of regulations happened. There was a bunch of reasons why, but essentially, you know, the attention and the it wasn't there. And so I started to look around with what was next and what I could, you know, put myself into. And I had been doing some podcasts or some marketing for one of my friends who had a podcast and he had gotten some really good traction with what we were doing. We were helping him create those little clips on social media, like with the videos and, you know, the captions underneath and stuff like that. And so we were doing that for him and he was doing really well with it. And I had another person reach out and ask me and they said, Hey, we saw you doing this. Can you do that for us too? And that kept happening over and over again. And so, you know, we just kind of, I, I kind of leaned into it unexpectedly, I took a hard look at like what was going to be there in like five, 10 years. And, you know, I wasn't going to look up and the industry was going to be gone or all this attention was going to be gone. And podcasting seemed to be that thing that had the ability to stick. You know, it was going to be something that wasn't going away. You know, there's all the reasons we can talk about, you know, all the technology reasons, stuff like that. But it just seemed like something that I can get behind and something that we were already doing and had a little bit of a base of. And so over the last, I guess, five, I guess that was about 2017, which is actually longer now. Than I realized about six 
six, seven years ago was when we started. And over the last like six years, we've kind of backed into a full service production shop where we do the, the marketing and the production and, and the publishing and all that, you know, part of it where we're kind of foraying a little bit more into helping people with the, the direction and the emotional willingness that comes along with podcasting as a big part of it. So that's how we ended up here. Wow. You've been doing it for a while. That Facebook live chapter is actually super fascinating. I mean, my God, no wonder you're comfortable podcasting. That probably gave you such great practice. Well, yeah, podcasting to me seems easier than that. But even before we hopped on, I was, I texted my wife. I'm like, I'm so nervous. I texted her, I'm like, I'm about to hop on a recording. I'm so nervous. Like, you know, so, so it still happens. You know, I still get the jitters and, and I, I remember these similar jitters and they go away. Right. So like the first day and then the second day is a little easier in the third day. And by the 300th, it's like, you know, you're kind of rolling, but yeah, I would not be able to do what I do or, or hop, you know, and just, yeah, there's, there was such a gauntlet and learn so much, gain so much. And I, you know, what's interesting is I don't really, I rarely think back about that time, but, but yeah, it was probably a pivotal moment. Probably because so much crazy stuff was going on and personally in our lives that like that was just just doing all that to just we were we got married on a yacht, not a boat, which my wife reminds me about. So we got married. We were having our first kid. There was a bunch of ex-boyfriend drama that was going on at the time. There's all these things and we still had to pay rent. We still had to eat. We still had to like, there's all you know, live and, and stuff. And and me, here's my newly, you know, engaged fiance. And I also went from, you know, making handsome six, multiple six figures right out of college. And, you know, the, that recruiting business and regular brick and mortar business was, it was doing really well financially. It was just soul sucking. And so now I go, babe, I'm going to do this online thing. I'm going to do this internet thing. We're going to make it work. I'm going to work from home. It's going to work. And so she's, she's on bed rest, pregnant with our first son in the room over. And I'm, I'm on the other side side, just like trying to figure out how to make things work and how to figure out, you know, how to make websites and you know how to off do all, all these kind of technical things. It worked, I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's here. a pretty good motivator right there. It's yeah, for sure. Talk to me about being a dad. What have you learned from that? Life all over, you know, it's just compressed life. Excuse me, my oldest is four, my youngest is three. So we kind of had them back to back. I had a neighbor walking by recently and she goes, oh, are they twins? And I said, oh, no, they're Mexican twins. And she she looks at me funny because she's this, this nice, nice little not Mexican lady. And she's like so confused. And I'm like, oh, we stole it from the Irish. And she's like, she's still confused. I haven't got it. I'm like, oh, no, they're back. They're back to back. They're back. You know, it's it's, it's joke. And so that, that means they're 12 uh, months apart, right? Yeah, about 13 months. Um, wow, that's yes. hard. It was hard. And there was one one in between there, actually, that didn't they could have been even closer, I guess, is what I'm saying. But things happen the way they happen. And yeah, so we had we had two of them. And you say, what did I learn? Just getting to the birth was such a journey. There was way more, let's call them opportunities than actual kids that we have, like way, way more. And I think that's its own conversation. And once again, I don't know if it's my story to tell, but we kept having these, you know, let's call them we, so many, you know, miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And it was like, we even had to say, okay, you know what? We're just going to stop. We're just going to stop trying. Cause we were like trying, like she had an app. She had, we had, you know, sketch, like it was, we were going to make it happen. And then it just wasn't working and it wasn't working and it just things. And so we like decided to stop pressing so much. And then, and then it worked. Was just the weirdest thing. And so there was that first part, which was just like an allowing, you know, just being able to like give, you know, I don't know how religious or spiritual people are, but but there's so much in this world that we're like, that's out of our control. And so like just being willing to put put that part that's out of our control. And hopefully it's in someone's hands who's, you know, 
kind and benevolent and not the other. And so that was a big part was just like being okay with whatever happens and just trusting in that. You know, I think she was on bed rest. There was time like she almost didn't make it like two or three times throughout the pregnancy. Like I remember waking up one morning, looking at my phone and I got a text message. I had a text message from her. It said, I just coded, but everything's fine. I'm okay now. And this is in between our, I, I was at home with our first son. She had gone like two months early to the hospital for our second one. And so I'm at home with him dealing with, you know, brand new dad kind of thing going on she's at the hospital so there's there's all of that just getting to it which was which was its own journey you know I mean thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that because I don't even feel like dads all will talk about that well I don't know how much of it is my like I feel bad they say oh we're pregnant you know there's that whole funny thing like we're a pregnant thing and I I don't know because of course I had it like if you really look at it objectively sure I had it pretty hard but nowhere near as hard at least physically or like directly emotionally as she did you know so so there's that and and I think it's both though right like it was a big I think I was at the time 20 just turned 26 or something like that or about to turn 26 which is pretty young I guess for most dads these days definitely yeah it was a lot of growing up quickly Yeah. I mean, I myself have gone through a couple of miscarriages and I can tell you it is so emotionally taxing. And if you don't know anything about it prior to it happening to you as well, like you feel. Yeah. And even as so lost, it's not like a poor me thing. I don't even want to be that. There's so much there, but, but yeah, so much of it challenge was I had no idea. I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> not, not, not only have never experienced it, but then even, even you're there and you're kind of going through it alongside someone that has, that does not give you any sense of what that's like. And so even my understanding of like, of like the actual weight of it, you know, there was a progression of like, not that I would think it's like, oh, it's not a big deal, but I didn't realize how big of a deal it was both physically, emotionally, mentally, like the spiritually, like the whole thing. There was a lot of growing there, but, but thankfully my wife is, she's the most amazing human I've ever met. You know, we have found a way to be stronger from all of these things. Thankfully. That is a big blessing. Do you feel like you had some conversations with God during that time? Every, every night, every night. And you know, like, and it's funny because for some reason, the only thing my my son was pretty colicky for those who don't know what what that that means it's like they just scream and cry for that's it they just scream and cry there's no real there's no real reason necessarily the only thing that would soothe him was constantly being held he was 30 pounds at three months so that was just like physically demanding yeah he was 15 pounds out of the gate which is just crazy and then he would doubled. So he got to, I think he was 10, 20, 30. But in any case, so he was just physically a big guy. The only other thing that he would go to sleep with is like Chris Tomlin worship, Jesus Christian worship music. You know, I grew up Catholic and I went to a bunch of Catholic school, but I'm, I'm not, you know, religious by any means. But the only thing he would fall asleep to is this worship music. And so thankfully I had some, you know, that's probably God speaking, right? They like literally yelling at me, you know, as this is going on. Like, so those moments were a little easier. Maybe he was a little closer, but literally Chris Tomlin, if you look at our, you know, Amazon plays, they tell you kind of at the year, here's what you played. It was like, you know, Chris Tomlin and it was, he was on repeat and it was just him and then everybody else. So yeah, there was a lot. Okay. So in my experience, I feel like babies have honestly like brought blessings. Do you feel like you saw blessings in your work or your home after you had the kids brought into your existence? Like blessings, like little coinkadinks, like little, like, yes. 
you know, what's interesting is like, I have these conversations with my grandma because she's hardcore Catholic still. So we just, thankfully, she's a kind enough lady to have intellectual debates. And so she's like 88. And so we just call and debate about the Bible and talk about, you know, it's funny at Christmas and Thanksgiving, they know to just leave us alone because it looks like we're arguing and they like want to go and like stop it. And like, like they keep interrupting us. I'm like, guys, what, what do you, we like, leave us alone. We are in like intellectual conversation. So that comes up a bit. And she was always kind of sad that I had, I don't know, she calls it like losing my way with the church or whatever, right? I stopped going to church. And I did, I did 16 years of Catholic school, maybe 17, if you count like pre-K and kindergarten, but all the way K through eight high school. And then even my college, I went to LMU, Loyola Marymount, which is a Jesuit Catholic college. Now, granted, they're pretty cool Catholics. So they're not like, they're not like on the hardcore end of the spectrum. But even then I did that route. And I, I told her, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of, you know, had gave, I told her, I was like, you had 17 years. You didn't convince me. That was your shot. And so she was always, you know, kind of, I don't know if upset's the right word, but I think hoping that I would find, you know, some way back. I didn't really have a reason to, you know, I'm 21, 22, making a bunch of money. Why do I need God at that point? Maybe, you know, like, and it was only when confronted, I think this happens a lot, you know, when confronted with your biggest challenges or the, the things that matter most, you know, do you, there was times where I was sitting there putting him to sleep, wondering if, you know, I was going to be a single dad having that conversation of like, okay, okay, if that is the case, like, okay, what, what then? Like, you know, or, or what, if that's going to happen, are you just going to hate the world? Are you just, you know, I was kind of walking through, you know, my next steps or my next, I, I kind of wanted to have those questions thought through beforehand because just my level of neuroticism and preparation and anxiety or whatever. But in those moments, you know, I think is when you're talking about those conversations, like that's where, that's where those bits of wisdom or that's where those of peace or, or surrender come. Yeah. All that to say, I think it did. I didn't realize it, but yeah, it did probably bring me back to whatever, you know, God is such a, a loaded word, right? But whatever that thing is, you know, whether it's the universe or whatever, whatever it is, like, yeah, for sure, this whole experience brought me back. But I think it happened a little bit before with my wife and some of the things that were happening in there. And then it kind of culminated with that. So I'll, I'll share this with you. I, I think you might get a kick out of it. When we had him, when you talk about these little quinkadings, his name is Cashton, K-A-S-H. So we call him Cash. And what was so strange is we had a Amazon, the Alexa thing in our room. <clears throat> and we used to say, you know, Alexa, play Chris Tomlin, whatever, like we're going to sleep, you know? And what was crazy was that, and maybe it was just Alexa listening to us, but at random intervals, that Wu-Tang Clan song, Cream, Cash Rules Everything Around Me, would just start playing. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Like it would just start playing out of nowhere. And it was so weird that it would happen. Like when I was napping, when we were napping together, which was just strange. And so there's one of your kind of your quinkadings, you know, you can make of it what you will, but that happened frequently his first year. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know if I'd want to be woken up to that. <laughs> The first time the music, they, they start talking. Like the intro of that song, it's it's like Method Man and Red Man. They're just having this like low conversation. like T -t -t. And so you're just waking up and you just hear two guys just talking. I'm like, what? And then it goes, cash rule. And the song, I'm like, what? It's a pretty heavy hip hop song. So if you let it play, it's going to wake you up. There's that. That's a loud message from the universe. I couldn't help but just go, okay, I get it. He's here. I know. Wow. I love that. I also am really curious, like you have this special connection with your grandma, like what has stayed with you from your conversations there? I think the bigger level of compassion. She's this Mexican red hat Trumper who is, you look at her and you go, what? How did you end up like this? You know, like you just, nothing would 
from the outside necessarily makes sense. And so I say that because nothing about being anybody who supports Trump or anything like that's not the point. But my point in saying that was that for me, people are never as simple as their outside or external identities make them. And so for me, like the biggest thing is like at the beginning, it was she's hardcore Catholic. She believes these things. How do I still love her unconditionally? How do I love her? You know, because because she had some very as most hardcore anything has had very clear opinions, let's call them. How do you love somebody who who believes that if I don't go to church on Sunday, that I'm not going to make it into heaven? Like that's her genuine belief. And she's done a lot of work and she's grown a lot even in the last you know, 10 in her 80s. She's grown tremendously. But there was that initial wrestling of like, because I also she was willing to engage in these debates. Even since we were since I was little, we'd always talk about these really esoteric ideas. And my mom is not really into that. My dad's not really into that. And she was the only one that I could have these kind of deep kind of intellectual conversations with. And so so there was that more recently. And I think similarly, I just come away realizing that like, you know, the people who whoever looks like the bad guys, like probably aren't like aren't the bad guys. I mean, I think it's really cool that you can have those conversations with her and that you have her in your life. If you, yeah. if you can't do that with your parents, I mean, how freaking cool that you can do that with your grandmother. I mean, that's an awesome perspective. And she probably gives it to you totally straight, like unfiltered. Here's another funny story. So she <laughs> also is the, she's always late to Christmas, which is bizarre because we're like, grandma, what are you doing? You're 88. What could you be doing? And her gifts are the best. And so she always gets a big bag of just like a potpourri of just things that she probably found at like pick and save or Target or wherever she was shopping. The number two, I'll take the number two gift was she gave my dad a like megaphone, like, like a thing, like, you know, and we're like, grandma, what? And she's, she had no reason. She's like, I thought he'd like it. The second thing was canned salmon. That was one of the premier gifts for that year for us was canned salmon amongst other things. Grandma Carmen is, she is a, a legend around these parts, but also quite the, the intellectual debate as well. The unique gift giver. Was that like in the stocking? It was in the bag. You know, these, those birthday bags types things that are, you know, have the kind of the two handles. She fills those up with just highlighters and, and nail polish remover. And like, these are the things that we, you know, so it's just, there would be gag gifts, but they're not. She's full serious. She was meaning to be thoughtful. That is so funny. I actually had a great aunt who is like literally known in the family for the gifts that she found. And also, I don't think she meant to be funny, but like her entire attic was like pre-wrapped. You know, like she had found quirky gifts for everyone in the family. And we're like, what are we going to get from Aunt Evie this year? <laughs> That's great. Because at least it sounds like there's some thoughtfulness or utility, or at least it could be, you know, sometimes we, we just scratch our head and we go, well, we're, she, she's getting old. So that's, <laughs> we give her that. Okay. I want to shift gears just a little bit because I did a little bit of research and okay. I got one question from somebody who endorsed you on LinkedIn, Mr. John Burks. I asked him if he were to ask you a question, what would it right. be? So he said that you are a good source about messaging bots, specifically chat fuel. He wants to know, are you confident in the continued adoption of messenger bots by big you companies? See, you see, this is the that old obscure marketing niche that I, people used to come up to my wife and they'd go, oh my goodness, your husband's the chatbot guy. And she'd go, what are you talking about? You know, she would be, and here's another funny thing is I used to always wear these, this panda hat, like the beanies that ravers wear that have the little pockets in the side. For some reason, 
my wife had one in the closet and she's like, I'm gonna throw this away. And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Bring that over here. And I wore it one day on a live stream. And it was just, I thought it was be funny. And you know, you're always trying to look to get people to stop on your thing. So I was like, a panda hat might work. And then I wore it that day. And then I wore it the next day. And then I stopped because I was like, I forgot or something. But someone goes, hey, where's the panda hat? And I was like, okay, it's right here. I'll put it back on. And ever since then, for all, like, I would say 250 out of those 300 videos, it's silly me in a panda hat, you know, talking about these messenger bots. And so he's talking about, you know, the continued adoption and whatever. And, and I, the, the short answer is, I don't know. I haven't kept up with that because, because I didn't see it as something that, that I was sure about in five, 10 years. And what I can say about podcasting is that podcasting, which is what I do now, you know, in five to 10 years, there will be some form of spoken form audio. There will be some form of, of spoken audio that people are consuming. Maybe it's called a podcast. Maybe it's not. But that ability for people to create some sort of show that people can listen to in their headphones, wherever they're at, is not going away. And the ability and the want for people to consume that on-demand content is not, is not going away. And, you know, we look at the trend of what cars are doing, right? I think that like, that's a really big part that people are not putting together is the integration of having Apple or Spotify, like right in your car. I mean, I think that's the only thing that really is keeping people onto radio is that there's still those cars that have the built-in radio, that generation that it doesn't plug in their aux cord or doesn't connect to their Bluetooth. You know, once those people stop driving or the, the cars just don't have the radios anymore, or what I found with my mom's, you know, she just got a Tesla, the radio is harder to find than Spotify. When that happens, I mean, people are like, it's not going to be going anywhere and it's only going to be evolving in, in this kind of form. And so that's kind of how I would twist that question into something that I, I actually... I'm researched and adept on today. Yeah, you know, even on your show, I did hear you asking a lot of your guests about the tools that they use. What have you learned in some of your discovery there? That it's easier to do than most people think or realize, but it can also be complicated in the sense that if someone doesn't know which tools, you know, if they're not told, hey, go pick up that one and go pick up that one, it's like going into an attic and saying, hey, I need you to pick up, grab the tool that's inside because there are so many, there's been a proliferation of, of these tools and softwares and technology that claim to make it easy. But the challenge is, is that a lot of just companies in general, it's not just podcasting, a lot of tech companies will try and be everything. They'll try and do it all, have all the features and do everything. And in doing so, they lose that intuitive ability to just to just do it, right? I think that's why Apple was so, I think that was kind of the hidden magic behind Apple is that you could give it to a kid, or you could give it to, you know, an 80 year old person and they could figure it out. Whereas a lot of software you need to do you know, research and videos. And, you know, even my mom was like, she's like, I need to watch YouTube videos on how to drive my car. And it's like, that was maybe, you know, how do you have to drive a car? You had to, you know, learn from your crazy uncle or whatever, but like, it can be complicated, but also if you're pointed in the right direction, it can be simple too. It can be something that doesn't need all the bells and whistles. And if you just want to have a show and you just want to get your podcast up and have people be able to listen to it, like it can be done too. Okay. Yeah. I would agree with that. Here's another question that we got from Twitter from Wealth and Freedom Nexus. What's the most cost-effective way to get actual followers versus bots? Cost-effective? 
The challenge with that word is that you're either going to invest time or money, right? And so if we're saying cost effective, the challenge with most cost effective things is that they take a lot of time. And on the other side, the things that would maybe require less time are usually more expensive, right? So I think that that's always the thing to consider is, do you have more time or do you have more money, right? Do you do you have the time to actually be be creating these effects or are you going to leverage Facebook, Meta, you know, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, these other platforms that have this built-in distribution that you can pay them and go, hey, I don't have the time to be doing this, but I'm going to pay you to get me in front of these people. And so there's that exchange, right? And so all of those things can work, but it's usually better question is what marketing tactics are right for me at this stage. And usually at the beginning, when there's you know a little bit smaller, usually there's not as much revenue coming in. Usually there's not as much monetization. So at that point is much more effective to invest your time. Things like uh, collaborating with other hosts. This is something kind of like what we're doing, right? Where you know, you're know you working with other people in or around your niche. That's really helpful. Uh, guesting on other shows is obviously one that doesn't take a lot of money, but you know, requires a lot of time or connections or social capital, things like that. One of the things that is probably not utilized as much, which I think we had talked about a little bit, is episode swaps, or they've been called feed drops in the past. It's just a really bad name for them. But that is something that I think can really help a new show as well, because the challenge with having a new podcast or a new show or a new anything is that well, there's not a lot of people paying attention. When you go out to another more established show, you don't have as much clout or as much reason for them to want to, to collaborate with you. The good thing about that situation, though, is there are also a lot of people in your similar S situation. So there are a lot of people who are looking to grow or, or, or get to that next level. And maybe they're only at 50 downloads or 100 downloads or whatever that number is. But there are more people at that same rung that you can collaborate with and kind of grow together. And I think not enough podcasters are utilizing that, myself included, right? I think that, you know, one of the reasons that we had did the women in podcasting thing was, you know, we just, I, I wanted to shine a light on women, you know, people who were kicking ass in the podcasting space. But I just knew that I needed to, to develop my relationships and people in the industry. And so we have, you know, we're going to do a web three kind of Twitter space. We're going to do, you know, all these different, different types of industries or, you know, these different types of leaders that can collaborate. And so I think those episode swaps are, are really good. So is an episode swap, I'm, I guess they can work different ways, but is it like you airing a full episode of another podcast just on your podcast or is it that you is the interview the person? There's both, but that is the traditional episode swap. It was popularized in the audio drama, true crime space where it was a really easy way for them to, you know, to publish something. And then they don't do interviews or anything like that. So it didn't make sense to have the interview. So they would just switch episodes. I'm going to publish yours on my feed, you publish mine on your feed. And that was it. And the cool thing is, is that it may seem a little weird at first, but it's actually way more accepted and way more embraced is the word that's coming to mind. But that sounds a little strong. But yeah, let's just say it's it's more embraced by listeners than I think most podcast hosts think. They think, you know, they have this very pure image of their feed and they're like, this is my feed and I don't want to taint it with other, you know, but but I think that as long as it's a show that your listeners are going to enjoy, it's something that maybe is similar or in topic or in nature or whatever it is. And it's something that your audience will actually enjoy. 
as long as it's set up and positioned the right way by either having a little intro at the beginning by saying, hey, this is, you know, my friend, this is their episode, this is what it's about, I think you're going to love it. Or even in just in the title, you can kind of make it apparent that it's a, you know, an episode swap. Because with podcast listeners, most of them, if they're not into it, they're just going to, they're just going to move on with their lives. So, so it can own, there's only upside and there's very, very little downside from doing something like that. And we've seen results work in lots of industries and at all sorts of sizes of shows. So even if your show is really small and you're swapping with someone that's small too, we've seen that even result in, in obviously a, a smaller bump than if you would have done it with a bigger show, but it still works. I think it's a fun experiment. Have you done it? With not with my show, because I have been looking for for people. I think when we had started, I reached out was the initial one. And so we've done it actually with a couple ones with Kevin and who's on my team now. So there's a two where we've seen it work. Kevin, who is on my team, actually built his show, The Jury Room podcast, like entirely off of episode swaps. He's kind of been the, the big advocate of episode swaps. And we've done it a little bit on some of the shows that we produce for our network. So we found that it also works for like cross promotional shows on a network. So we produce three shows that are all part of one network and they're all like marketing business based and stuff. So those ones we've done a lot in swapping and we've seen those, you know, result in a couple of thousand, extra thousand downloads kick over. And I'm trying to think if there's any other examples, but yeah, those are where we've seen the best is when there is some connection to it, right? It's like for that network, they didn't really do a good job of letting their listeners know they had other shows. So it was kind of our way of introducing like, hey, if you like this show, probably gonna like that show too. And so it worked really well in that regard. What about 60 second like ad swaps of similar audiences, similar yeah. topics? Those work. We found that those work. Those have smaller spikes in people kind of crossing over. We've gotten less bullish on them because... It requires an ad spot. We're just weary of having too many ad spots or unnecessary ad spots. And so if I were to make a recommendation, I would say it's probably more effective to do an episode swap than a promotion swap. But they still, I mean, they can work. They do work. And then too, like, do you do 50,000 impressions? Do you do 5,000 impressions? Do you do, right? Like how long do you even do that where you can tell it's worth it? You know, I had talked to somebody yesterday who was like, I had these people who were collaborating. They're asking me about, you know, how many downloads I'm getting. And they're asking me about these things. And I think that that's a valid question because someone's going to want to know, you know, is their time, you know, worth it? And so for sure, you can understand that. What we found to work best is really the... Finding people who align with the mission or the purpose of the show and being really clear and forthcoming with that first. I mean, that's how we've been able to get the biggest guests. And, and, and it's not really because the downloads. I mean, although those help, what we found to be most effective is saying, like, here's what our show's about. Here's what we're trying to do. We know you're about that, too. You know, would you be willing to do X, Y or Z and being forthright with that? The second thing that we could actually discuss is combining all the impressions. So one thing that happened was like he put up a YouTube video and it only got like 400, 400 views, which is you know pretty typical for a podcast full length episode. Right. But what we did instead is we took that video and then we made the clips and we took the shorts. And instead of just saying, hey, your video, you know, the video got 400 views, highlighting the fact that it across all platforms, you know, hit tens of that, you know, X amount of thousands of impressions, right? And coming forward with that number, which is, I think is what you're talking about in terms of, of dictating that. So we think that aggregating all those impressions is, is important. And then we like just a time period. So saying, hey, we're going to have it up on your feed for a month. And then it's up on your feed for a month. 
and then we take it out. And then that way it's not a forever kind of thing. That way it's a limited run type stuff, but it also, it just, it doesn't make it a forever thing, which I think people are always hesitant to do. It's like, well, I got to put it up there and it's going to be there forever. It's their feed. So understanding that we'll, we'll do it for a week or we'll do it for two weeks or a month or two months or one quarter or whatever that is. We found that basing it on a time length is a little easier than impressions, right? Because then you're, that can become a weird game sometimes, you know? Yeah. I think that's a good point to make. The podcasts that have reached out to me have been more around impressions, but I agree with you. I think a time period should also maybe be discussed. And how long is it going to take you to get 5,000 impressions? How long is it going to take you to get 50,000? Usually they say that they're getting like 5,000 downloads an episode. I'm kind of like, well, as long as you don't care how long that takes me to get, then I'm cool with the swamp, (laughs) you know? But yeah, as long as it's kind of like an equal trade. Yeah. We have also found that the ability to collaborate outside of the podcast is also something that I think not a lot of people are paying enough attention to in the sense that like we originally collaborated on a Twitter space, right? Yeah. Twitter space made it onto my podcast and stuff, but doing things like that, where maybe let's do an Instagram live, or maybe let's do, you know, LinkedIn is doing their things, or maybe it's, it could be a variety of things, right? You know, that doesn't have, that doesn't have to be the, the podcast. And so it doesn't have to start there either. And so I think opening up the options for collaboration is also a big opportunity. Okay. I love that you just brought that up because I usually say to like some of my favorite guests, like there was somebody I met at a PodFest, Pod Houston event. We have an episode that we just did in person. She's the first in-person studio shoot I've done in Houston. And I was like, hey, like we had some other ideas that we might want to entertain. Like, do you want to do another episode? Like, let's put it on the calendar. And like you were saying, you know, Twitter spaces, Instagram live, Facebook live that you're a pro at. Like I try to throw that out there and I wish more podcasters would actually want to like put an additional something on the calendar. Like if you feel like you have good chemistry together, like why just make it a single episode? Like, could it be once a month? Could it be every couple of months? Like, how can you keep these relationships with people who you vibe with, who are also creating content and creating value? How can you keep those relationships going in maybe a different way? Right. I think that a lot of podcasters specifically, it's so much, and a lot of them are doing everything that the idea of putting something else on the calendar or adding more stuff, or you mean, I've got to do a Twitter space or I've got to do video. And there's always that, but but I think that on the other end of that, the one plus one in podcasting and in, in digital media equals three. I mean, I think that that's like, you know, or three or more, whatever that saying is, right? But but that's something that YouTube, that I've really looked at YouTubers as kind of the model in the sense that maybe a little less than 10 years ago, probably started about, about a decade ago, they started to realize that, hey, YouTube's going to do what they're going to do. But if we're going to win, we need to band together and we need to help each other collectively grow because when you're on my thing and my thing's doing well, you're going to do well and vice versa, because there's no shortage of the amount of tension that's necessarily out there. It's not like there's only, it's not like NBC and ABC where there's only one slot at seven o'clock and you know, there's only one primetime slot or there's only X amount of primetime slots. That's, that's not the case anymore. And so YouTubers really kind of pioneered that in the way of kind of working together. And I think that podcasts is starting to happen and you hear these things, you know, brewing in, in, in the industry circles, but I think that's going to be really the key to taking us to that next level is there, too many podcasters are looking for Apple and Spotify and, you know, they're looking for the platforms to actually to help. And I think that they may help, but they're not going to, to save or sustain any shows. And that's for us to do on our own. 
I agree. All right. What's that question for my daddy? The question was, I love my dad. However, I think we had mentioned it, you know, I was never, was never someone that I could go to, to talk. And so he's now 60. He just turned 60, 61, 62, something like that. And I think back to how his dad was right. And how dads were back in the day. The idea of like loving and nurturing and not coddling, but like showing affection to your kids is a rather new kind of thing. My dad never gave me a hug. My dad never like, you know, showed any, my love languages. My first one is physical touch. And it's like, you know, I never got that from my dad. And to his point, he probably never got that from his dad. And so my question to your dad is in that kind of let's call it broken chain, right? What's the best way, you know, and I'm doing my best to not pass that on to my son. And, you know, I tell my son, I love him every, you know, very much do, doing the things not of the opposite, but to make sure that, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily experience that lack that I felt sometimes, but is there a way to repair that upwards? I love that question. What's really interesting is I just did this episode with Avram Weiss and he's around my dad's age. And he was saying that, there's so much pressure on a man to be man enough, especially in that generation. Right. And being man enough, he said, means not being emotional, not being, not having feminine traits, not hugging, you know? And so my dad isn't that though. <laughs> you know, he had three sisters and three daughters and he had a really close relationship with his mom. And honestly, I think that helped me choose a husband similar to that. Like I wanted an emotional guy. Even my pinned tweet on Twitter is men who show emotions are cool. Like, but I do think it's a generational thing. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. And that's why it's so important, I feel like, to have conversations generationally like with people who are 10 years younger than me and 20 years older and 30 years older, because I feel like, I mean, I was pretty much raised by my grandparents and I feel like my kids are missing out on that. Like we really need to bring the intergenerational wisdom back. I think it's being somewhat tossed aside today and we still need it. Yeah. Well, there's the challenges is that we have combined some of the bigotry, right? Which remains from some of those generations, which is kind of what I was talking about with my grandma. I love her, but she's, she has some of that and we go, okay, if they have those feelings and thoughts, then nothing that they have said is worth listening to because, and I'm just making a lot of assumptions here. I'm thinking that why are we casting that out? And it's probably because they're being categorized as, oh, whatever that. And so that could play a role in us not, not being open to those, you know, to the advice that they have. You know, it's so funny to talk about like winky dinks from the universe. My dad like literally just called. How crazy is that? That's so crazy. I'm wow. going to tell him about this story like right when I call him back. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Rena. This has been fun. Yeah, this has been amazing. Please promote away your podcast, how people can connect with you, all the good stuff. Yeah, the show is called Marketing Your Podcast. If Rena can see it on my wall there that my wife beautifully did. Best other place to find me is on LinkedIn. It's Hector Santiasteban. There is apparently another Hector Santiasteban who's a doctor in Mexico. And so he's got me beat right now a little bit, but I'm on the way to being the number one. I will make it happen eventually one day to be the number one Hector Santiasteban in Google. However, if you search LinkedIn, you should find me there. Well, you're number one in my book. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Hector. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This has been fan. We'll see you. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Grandpa.
your interview with a fellow podcaster, Hector, I think was a, a really good live discussion about how to advertise, how to network your show and his show. Collaborating together is, again, a very good way of building your audiences to find people that have similar ideals and where everybody works together to get connected. I think that is a very, very good strategy. He brought up an interesting question, and I think you brought it out even with the generational legacy that is even part of our show as well, is that he wants to help women podcasters have a presence and where he fully supports that. Because when he was growing up, his confidant, just like your confidant at times was your grandmother, just like it's his grandmother that really had a tremendous positive influence in his life where he could talk to her about anything just like you could talk to your grandmother about anything. And sometimes talking to your mom or your father, it's not the same. You know, he even mentioned that he wasn't really a great athlete or played sports, but was really into the technical things. And so when it came to podcasting or, you know, where he did that Facebook Live, and when it comes to being articulate, he's right on top of that. That's his niche. That's his game. I think that all of us have to find what we're really comfortable in, enthusiastic about, and pursue it and pursue our dreams. And still, the connection with other people is still the way that you get your message out better is by listening to other people, cooperating with other people with similar ideas and trying to project that. And everybody really learn a really good lesson of it. I really love that that is a common bond between the two of you where you have that generational grandmother that has been a big influence in both of your all's lives. But how do you get connected closer to your father? It doesn't necessarily have to be a kiss or a hug. You're maybe not aware of it, but even in our own family, the Freedmen men, when they got together at some of the occasions, they all danced with each other. They all hugged each other. They all kissed each other. They all high-fived each other. You know, that's something that went on even when you're on some type of team, you know, where that encouragement and having teammates really helps build your confidence. Oh, there, there you go again, is where people with similar hobbies or sports or and they get together and you don't have to do it by yourself. I think you do better. Uh, as you know, even some of those chess tournaments that we went together, if I would take my sister or take one of my kids with me, I performed a hell of a lot better if somebody that was close to me was rooting me on. I played better. That's not necessarily the case with everybody else. But I believe that generally when you have good fans in the stands, and you have encouragement and people pushing and cheering for you, I think I think we all do better. That's why there's a what you call the home court advantage when you have more fans rooting for you in the stands. I, I think that is uh, an element of encouragement that we, that we all want. I think that the best way to get close to anyone is to share your ideas, communicate what your wants and what his or her wants are, and to see if there's common bonds. I think that's what it's all about is finding common bonds. Yeah, I'll tell you, I went to Celia's basketball game tonight. It was such a close game. And once there was just a couple minutes left and they were one basket apart, they started cheering for the home team and they got much more aggressive and would not let that other team win. Isn't that what we're talking about? That the more people that are on your side, the more people that are encouraging you, the more people that are with you, it helps you overcome whatever the task might be. It's good to have good teammates, but it's good to have good fans. It's good to have encouragement. It's good to see that when you would perform or or Jessica would perform or Stephanie would perform, 
we would all go to the tournaments or go to the music shows or to the art festivals. Don't you think that that encouragement doesn't help your children be better? be the best that they can be because you're behind them. Taking chess lessons or music lessons or getting tutored at school, doesn't that help you achieve more if you've fallen behind or you get discouraged? It's to get whatever necessary tools it takes to get on the ball and to succeed. I think that's something that all of us need. When in doubt, give us a call. The Better Call Daddy Show tries to give you a little bit of that encouragement and wisdom so that you can have a better day as well. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 